morning. The Lord be with you. And grace and peace, in the name of Christ our Lord, be upon us all. Welcome to First Church this morning. It is a special joy to worship with you, especially those who may be visiting our guests. You bless us with your presence. We pray this is a blessed time for us all as we worship God together. We do so on what is called Trinity Sunday. Of course, last week was Pentecost Sunday, as we remember, uh, and it's tradition within our church uh, that Trinity Sunday follows Pentecost Sunday, and we remember uh, that we worship God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is before us as we share scripture from Isaiah and from Romans this morning. Uh, as we gather and worship, uh, just a reminder that you'll find on your pews uh, a registration pad because it helps us know that you share and worship at First Church this morning, and we thank you for attending to that. Thank you to attending to the service and fellowship opportunities before us as well. Uh, the Lunch Bunch ministry is such a vital part of ministries of First Church that is offered each Tuesday and Thursday, and as you can see in our bulletins, uh, there's always room for extra help to share in that ministry, so if you're interested, you see the number there for the Dietrichs, or you may just contact us here at the church office if you're willing to uh, serve by way of uh, reaching out to our neighbors by way of the Lunch Bunch ministry. We see that Vacation Bible School is also before us and a wonderful opportunity to contribute to a vital ministry of the church. You see the list there of items to offer in support of that ministry. A reminder of our prayer walk as we meet here at noon on Wednesday, and we will walk out into the neighborhood and offer prayer uh, as God is calling us to do as good neighbors here in this uptown location. And then again, next Sunday at 2 o'clock, the invitation to be a part of the Danville District conversation regarding the work of the Commission on the Way Forward and the Council, and Bishop, Council of Bishops in preparation for a special called General Conference of the United Methodist Church next February. All are invited to be a part of that. Again, we, we worship this morning uh, remembering Isaiah's experience of worship with God and a powerful message uh, comes to us from scripture and I look forward to sharing in that word with you and we prepare now to worship God together.
Thank you, Beth. Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand as we share in this call to worship. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Praise the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and God's praise is Let us sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. prayer is before us. I invite us to go to God as we pray. O holy God, like Isaiah the prophet, we stand in awe of your glory, feeling tremendously small and polluted by our sin and the sin of our society. Even so, you touch us with your burning presence, and we are made clean and whole. O oh God, our Creator, continue to build this household of faith into what you want us to be. O oh Christ, our Savior, lead us to do as you will. O oh Spirit, our power, strengthen us for the work of the kingdom, a worship and a service which is ours today as well as tomorrow. O oh blessed Trinity, fill this place and these people with your presence. For yours are the power and the salvation and the creation, now and always. Amen. We proclaim the word first from the letter to the Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. First we pray. Lord, pour your spirit upon the proclaiming of your word. Refresh and renew us. 
to hear as you would have us hear, and to shape our lives according to your word spoken today and always. In Christ we pray. Amen. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of our Lord. Children of Lutheran, Colorado. 
going to invite us to stand, share in the singing of We Are Called, 2172. We hear the word of the Lord as it comes from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of our Lord. Well, so just how dangerous, how risky can worship be? That is to say, you and I likely do not come here this morning expecting any great surprise. We do not arrive here expecting any experience of shock. In all likelihood, we do not arrive here this morning believing we are at great risk at this time and place. We have not arrived here believing our lives will be turned upside down, that we may leave this service fumbling to find words uh, appropriate to what we have experienced here. I understand. I understand well that we do not expect great upheaval when we come to this place of worship. And I don't criticize this. It's, it's very understandable why we do not come to worship expecting upheaval and shock, why we do not desire those experiences which may leave us too shocked to speak. I understand. You see, I know as well as you do that each day we seem to know all manner of chaos or uncertainty. Just how much more rain are we going to have to endure? How many hurricanes will strike us this year? How high will the gasoline prices go? Are my children, my grandchildren safe at school? What will the doctor tell me about my test results? So in light of, of the chaos and upheaval and uncertainty never far from us, is it any wonder we come here wanting some message speaking of comfort? Nothing that jars us, something wonderfully familiar, something wrapping us in a warm and beloved embrace. I understand. I understand there are those times when what we seek in worship is simply God's gift of blessing. I understand what we often want here is to be led beside the still waters for our souls to find comfort. So it may surprise us to know that not only does worship, yes, often provide the comfort and blessing we want, worship may also carry with it certain risk. For example, we've just spent some time with the prophet Isaiah this morning. We spend time with Isaiah as he worships. Remember, Isaiah is in the temple in Jerusalem. In the year that King Uzziah died, about the year 735 B.C., now we are not told what Isaiah expected as he entered the temple, the holiest of places for the people of God, but I believe it to be a, a safe assumption that Isaiah was not expecting the experience that he shares with you and me. We remember what Isaiah tells us about his experience of worship. The train of the Lord filled the entire temple. Holy beings, the cherubim and the seraphim, to the right and to the left of the Lord, fly about crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. Within their claws, these creatures carry burning, purifying coals. In the presence of all that is holy, Isaiah realizes and declares, I'm not worthy to be in this place. Again, there is no reason to believe this is the experience of worship Isaiah expected as he entered the temple that day to worship God. Nor is this the experience you and I expect as we come to worship, as we come to this beloved, beautiful, comforting, inspiring place. As it is not unusual for you and me to experience 
some difficult and long and trying weeks, it's not unusual for us to arrive here wanting good news that reassures and comforts and blesses. And it's true there's much to be said for this. Still, we notice the experience of Isaiah as he worships. It appears Isaiah powerfully reminds us there's another aspect of worship we do well not to miss. You see, Isaiah brings us into the presence of the God who is the creator of all heaven and earth, of all there is. He is the God who is Lord of all there is, the God before whom we may respond with only all and trembling and silence. Yet in our desire to find the comfortable and the familiar, assurance and blessing, we may often forget the holy God who meets us in this place. Fortunately, there are those brothers and sisters who call us to remember the holy God into whose presence we enter as we come to this place of worship. There's a writer named Annie Dillard, and she reminds us of what we encounter here. Annie Dillard is a graduate of Hollins College in Roanoke, graduated in the mid-70s, and since graduating from Hollins, has written several notable and acclaimed books. One of her books is titled, Teaching a Stone to Talk. And in this book, Dillard recalls certain of her experiences of worship with a number of churches and denominations. She shares her reflections about the different ways in which she has worshiped. Recalling certain experiences of worship with the people of God, Dillard comes to the conclusion we may not be fully aware of the power we encounter when we come to worship. Does anyone have the foggiest idea, she writes, what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does not anyone believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up that batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. That's what Dillard writes of her experience in worship. And I have the feeling that Isaiah would shake his head in emphatic agreement with all of this witness of Annie Dillard, saying, Amen, sister, you got it right. And while it's true, we may also agree with Annie Dillard, also understand why we may wish to keep at arm's length this experience of worship as described by Annie Dillard. As our scriptures remind us, it's an awesome thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Just ask Isaiah. Isaiah, what is it like to feel the shaking of the foundations of the earth? What is it like to hear the piercing cries of the heavenly beings? What's it like to feel the whoosh of the wings as these holy beings soar by? What is it like to feel the heat of the burning coals, to breathe in their fumes? What's it like to feel this, this level of sinfulness, so much so that you are moved to confess, I'm not worthy to be in this place? Who among us this morning wants our lives to be shaken in such a manner as this, as we worship. I have in my office some artwork I was fortunate to purchase when I traveled with fellow clergy to Israel 20-some years ago. I'm grateful for this artwork and appreciate glancing at it from time to time. I especially appreciate a piece of this artwork 
which recalls God's giving of the law at Mount Sinai, as told in the book of Exodus. I'm grateful for this artwork and its portrayal of lightning, fire, and smoke, its representation of the shaking of the earth. I'm grateful for this because this work of art hangs on my office wall and as it does so, it witnesses against my attempts, and they are many, to bring God down to my size. It hangs there shouting against my desire not to unsettle any of us in any way as we gather for worship. It indicts my desire to keep us all calm and comfortable and to keep everything in order. To state the obvious, every pastor, including this one, knows the strong inclination to shape worship that pleases not God, but you and me. So no matter how faithful and appropriate the words of a particular hymn, we may say, well, we can't pick that one, no one knows the tune. We can't choose that creed. No one knows it by heart. What's wrong with the Apostles' Creed? And if we have a baptism or communion or a guest speaker, well, we'd better shorten some other parts of the service. We can't be found worshiping God past 12 noon, for heaven's sake. It's as if you would think worship is about us. And perhaps Isaiah felt that way before he went to the temple one day and was confronted with the proper order of things. Namely, there is a God, and it's not us. An Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, warns us that contemporary American culture has, en has encouraged many in the Christian church to become over-familiar with God. That is to say, according to Taylor, in the search for seeker-friendly congregations and messages that reassure the unchurched, Taylor claims too many of us risk speaking of God as we would speak of a pet lion. Oh, he was fierce once, but there's nothing to be afraid of now. You, you can climb on his back if you want to. We have had all of his teeth and his claws removed so he can't hurt you anymore. She writes, when our worship implies that God has become our good chum, we lose any likelihood of placing worshipers in the presence of one whose power can transform our lives. She writes, when we talk about what God thinks and what God wants, as if we knew what that was, when we speak of God's love as if it were all soft pillows, when really his love is more like bone-melting thunder. Taylor concludes, stating that a little fear and trembling towards the mysterious face of the Holy One may well be a good antidote to boring, domesticated worship. I've read my Bible, she says. I know what happens to people who see God face to face, and it seems to me that we are a little short on reverence these days. Was it really such a big deal? Isaiah goes into the temple sees some otherworldly creatures lying around, hears their cries, holy, 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 breathes in some smoke, and feels terribly, terribly humbled by this experience. Okay. So what? Well, the truth is, the witness of our faith is a witness telling us we cannot long live without having certain of these holy and humbling experiences with God. 
You see, this experience of Isaiah and the presence of God is a life-saving, transforming experience. This experience reveals for Isaiah and for us the proper order of things. That is, God alone is to be worshipped. And we are those beings who find our lives rightly lived, rightly ordered, as we worship God. Now some of us may have grown up in the faith tradition in which the Westminster Catechism is a prominent witness, a tradition such as that of the Presbyterian Church. If you grew up in this tradition, or if you went to a Presbyterian seminary, you may remember that the first question asked of the faithful by the Westminster Catechism is the question, what is the chief end of man and woman? The answer to that question, the chief end of man and woman is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the proper order of things not only according to the Westminster Catechism, but as revealed to us by the prophet Isaiah this morning. Life is rightly lived in relationship with God as we worship God, as we glorify God and enjoy Him forever, as we understand God has created us for His glory. Without this glory, without this experience of God, without sharing in this worship known by Isaiah, our lives are not rightly ordered. They are not rightly directed. So if nothing else happens for you and me in this place at this time, may it at least be enough for us to have encountered God so that we may glorify God and enjoy him forever. invite us to stand to respond to the word as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, number 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and thence to come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. As we stand, I invite us to welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ.
worship God by receiving his tithes and our offerings. Let us pray. Lord, you bless us by calling us to this time and place of worship, and you bless us by providing opportunity to worship you through our giving. May these gifts be acceptable in your sight and in your care. May they accomplish wondrous things for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
seated. As we remember those who have gone before us on this Memorial Day weekend, we have this responsive prayer appropriate to the occasion before us. I will invite you to share in the response, we lift up thankful hearts. As you have done so, I'm going to recognize a time of silence after each of your responses. We lift up thankful hearts and we can observe that silence, but I also invite you to name those concerns or persons you might like to speak as we share in this responsive prayer, and then we will come to that point at which we pray as Christ has taught us. But again, following each response of we lift up thankful hearts, there will be silence, and in that time, you are welcome to share those prayer concerns you might like to speak at this time. We go to God as we pray. Almighty God, before whom stand the living and the dead, we, your children, whose mortal life is but a hand's breadth, give thanks to you. For all those through whom you have blessed our pilgrimage, whose lives have empowered us, whose influence is a healing grace, For the dear friends and family members whose faces we see no more, but whose love is with us forever. For the teachers and companions of our childhood and youth, and for the members of our household of faith who worship you now in heaven. For those who sacrifice themselves, our brothers and sisters who have given their lives for the sake of others. that we may hold them all in continual remembrance and ever think of them as with you in that city whose gates are not shut by day and where there is no night. that we may now be dedicated to working for a world where labor is rewarded, fear dispelled, and the nations made one. And hear our prayers as we pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. We share our closing hymn, Here I Am, Lord, number 593. <laughs> have met and experienced God. We have heard his word, we have known his presence through each of us here, and we go from this place in the continual embrace of our loving God. We go as a light into the world in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.